the second week of this series uh, called Enduring Love, and uh, what we're doing is taking a look at uh, different aspects of what a love that lasts looks like. Before I get going this morning, though, I wanted to just uh, point out again our gold sheets in the service folders, a way to follow along and maybe make some notes if you're a part of a group and uh, maybe even a group for the first time. Um, this is something that you'll want to write up on and also take to your growth group as those get uh, started um, either today or um, next week if, if the snow gets too bad. As I start today, though, I'd like to share with you a little story, uh, not a story, but a conversation that I had with a, a Bethlehem attender last week. Um, we were talking a little bit, and I had asked him about... Uh, Valentine's Day came up, and I asked him if he had a good, you know, happy, uh, romantic date with his wife. And as soon as I asked the question, um, he got this really disappointed look on his face. And, and my first reaction is kind of the reaction you might have had, which was, oh, great. I shouldn't have asked. It probably didn't go very well. And, you know, too late now. I've already asked about it. But what he said next kind of surprised me. It wasn't what I was expecting. He said, Ben... I'm disappointed in you. At this point, I'm still thinking that his date went badly, and I'm thinking, why, are you dis why is he disappointed with me? I wasn't even on his date. It's not my fault if it went badly. But he continued, said, Ben, I'm really disappointed in you because you just asked the bad question, the wrong question. And if you were here last week, you might know where I'm going. He said, you essentially asked me if I felt in love with my date on Valentine's, but what you should have asked me is whether you love the person you went on a date with. And for those of you who were here last week, he was absolutely right. I did ask a bad question. I didn't have my pastor, you know, I wasn't thinking that way at that time, but he was correct. Because what we looked at last week as a review, or for those of you who weren't here first time, is that love, if you want to stay in love, that it is more than just starting with the feeling of love. That in fact, while falling in love is easy, your goal was not just to be in love on your wedding day. Your goal was that you would stay in love for your entire lifetime and that to have that is more than focusing on a feeling. In fact, Jesus told us that in order to do that, we need to make love a verb. Love, which is a noun, we need to make it a verb. And instead of you know, thinking so much about the feeling, focus on just simply loving the person you're with. Now, as we get going on the second week, I kind of want to sort of dig into the minds of some of you guys especially. Because I'm guessing that some of you husbands, some of you guys, one of the thoughts that you have is, we really are going to be talking about love, marriage, and relationships for four weeks. I mean, I could understand last week, Valentine's Day was the next, you know, the next day, and, you know, thanks for the reminder, by the way, but four weeks? I mean, really? Come on! And, and ladies, the reason why your husband might be thinking that way is because a lot of times guys think of relationships and marriage like you might um, think of a car. We just want them to work. We don't necessarily care to know how they work. We just want them to work. Most of us, many of us, don't necessarily want to work on them. And so when 
you say, let's work on our relationship, or when your wife says, let's work on our, our marriage, or let's talk about this, what goes through his mind is maybe sometimes the way you're feeling in the car when your husband is driving, if this has ever happened. He's driving, and all of a sudden, he says, shh, 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 everyone be quiet. Jack, you're okay. But everyone be quiet. Did you hear that? Did you hear that rattle? And a lot of times you're like, what rattle? I didn't hear anything. And the car's still working, it's going, so let's just keep going. And if we stop to worry about the rattle, we're not going to get to where we need to go in time, so let's just keep going. Now, I understand, guys, your feelings about this, because I feel that way too sometimes, but here's the truth. The ladies are right on this one. Because what happens if you just let rattling going on in your car? Eventually the car is not going to go forward. And if we never take time to, first of all, listen to what God has to say, but then also to talk and apply to our lives, guess what's going to happen? Like your car that falls apart, so our marriage will not work correctly either. So it's good that you're here. And today we're going to spend our time looking at a plan that God has given us for how marriage best works. And I'll be right up front with you also. These are some controversial words for some people. Um, these words sometimes are, are ones that people would like to ignore because the world views them, and maybe some of you have, as being old-fashioned or out of date. But I really believe, and as we go through this, the reason why that is more than anything is because people don't understand what it's really saying. Because people don't understand what God is actually telling us in these words. And so with that sort of an introduction, uh, we turn to Ephesians chapter 5. And I'll be, uh, let me tell you this, we're going to spend most of our time looking at the very first verse, verse 21, because it is so important and so huge to the rest of it. Verse 21 says this, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. I have a theory about something. And I've been testing it throughout the three services today. And in order for me to finally, after this third service, you know, know that my theory is true, I need you to help me out with something. This is the only participation during this message that you need to do. But on the count of three, could everyone say, submit? All right, let's see. One, two, three. Submit. All right. So my theory over three services has been true. And the theory was this, that it is not impossible nor even hard to say s -s -s submit you can all do it everyone's been able to do it it's not a hard word it's only two syllables but it seems like in our culture and in our world it's kind of a bad word that it's not just hard to say but that people don't want to say it i've had you know a very happy bride and groom hope that they could just you know sort of take it out of the wedding vows and the problem is is that it's right in the scripture so, it's not hard to say, it's just sometimes hard to understand or to stomach for some. But, I think one of the real reasons why that is is because the Bible was not written originally in English. The New Testament was written in Greek. So if you think about translating, you got God's word that was inspired, that's the Greek. 
And people at a certain point have to, you know, sinful people have to take that Greek language and do the best they can to translate it into English or German or Spanish or whatever language. And the English word submit is maybe not, I don't believe, a perfect word to describe the Greek word, which is hypotasso. Okay? Now, submit has a lot of baggage with it. Some, for some, it connotates someone being inferior. For other people, maybe. For more people, it connotates kind of the idea of a forced oppression or a forced sort of slavery or servitude. The problem is, is that that's not hypotasso. And I can't think of a specific one-word translation, but I have, I, I do know of a, a phrase that describes it better. And I think it's also found on your gold sheet, but it's essentially this. Hupatasso, submit, means to willingly and joyfully put the other person's wish, wants, and desires ahead of yours. To joyfully and willingly, no force, Put the other person's wishes, wants, and desires ahead of your own. Essentially, even though this word hypotasso wasn't used in Jesus washing feet, that's the perfect picture. Jesus dying on the cross for you would be another one. But that's hypotasso. Hypotasso is your four-year-old saying, hey, I don't need to go first. You go first. Hypotasso is two people standing at a door ready to go into a restaurant, all right? And you've got the door open, and someone else that you don't know is over there. And you're like, you go first. And he's like, no, you're holding the door. You go first. And he's, you're like, no, no, I insist. You go first. And back and forth, back and forth, continually deferring, you go first. It's not slavery. It's not sadness. It's a willingness to put the other person first. Now that's a lot different, though, than what comes naturally in our relationships, huh? That's a parent-child relationship, a brother-sister relationship, a marriage relationship. We spent a lot of time last week talking about how we act naturally and how selfishness, me-first type of mentality is something that just comes naturally through sin. And even the most selfless among us, and we have some very selfless people here, Moms are some of the most selfless people I know. I mean, you are continually having to give of yourselves and put yourself second. Even moms and dads and all of us still struggle with selfishness, with putting ourselves first. And what happens is when this natural, sinful selfishness works its way into a marriage, you know what a marriage can become? What a relationship like that can become? parent-child relationship, too, a little bit. But what it can become, a marriage relationship, is essentially a contract. And the question becomes, how can I get the most benefit for me out of the person I marry? How can that person most benefit me? And if they do, well, then I will, in return, benefit them. So it's like this. I'm using general things. You fill in what would be more applicable to your relationship. If you take out the garbage, and if you shovel the walkway, and if you bring home money, then I will serve you in return happily and joyfully. Or on the other side, you know, if you keep the house in good order, and if you take care of the finances, and if you give me the love and affection that I'm looking for, well then, I won't be cranky either, and I will joyfully and willingly serve you. Now there's a problem with that. 
problem is, is as soon as one person doesn't, you know, sort of do their part of the bargain, their part of the contract, well then the other person doesn't feel like they need to either. And what happens is that the love that you're looking for in a contract type of relationship or marriage, where I will only if you do first, that love and intimacy begins to erode away. It can't stay. It doesn't stay. And that type of you know, marriage relationship is not hypotasso. In fact, this is, this is tongue-in-cheek, but I want to say it because I want you to think about it. It's worth thinking about. If all you're really looking for is a mechanic, or a nanny, or a maid, or an accountant, it's a whole lot easier just to hire one than to get married. But that's not why you got married, is it? I'm not saying that in a marriage relationship you don't divvy up the duties. I'm not saying that you both don't do things for the other person. Don't, don't misunderstand me. I'm not saying that. What I am saying is that the reason why you do what you have volunteered to do should not be because she's going to do in return or he's going to do in return. And if he doesn't, I won't. What I am saying is that the motivation behind that is not what can I get out of this. To squeeze your spouse for everything that they can give you. And, in fact, as we, uh, as we will see here, when that happens, like I mentioned earlier, the intimacy and love in a, in a marriage will go away. So there's an entirely different reason for us to do why, what we do in a marriage. And it's not love necessarily for your wife. Look at verse 21, or your husband. Uh, back one more. Submit to one another. What's the reason? Out of reverence. For Christ, out of awe and love for Christ. What did that say? Does it say, I will submit or put my wife first as long as she, you know, allows things to run smoothly or, you know, gives me my quota of kisses or whatever it might be, or I will love my husband, I will put him first as long as he treats me like he's supposed to treat me and as long as... Um, <laughs> allows the family to work all right. Our husbands or wives may not always be on the top every day of the husband or wife of the year list. But it's not out of awe and reverence for them that we are to do this. It's a totally different reason. And this may just blow, you know, the way you think of marriage out of the water. It says, out of reverence, awe, for Christ. Last week I said that falling in love is easy. All it really requires is someone to have a pulse. I mean, if you're alive, you can fall in love. But that staying in love is harder. That it requires work. But more importantly than that, it, works, it requires Jesus. And what I want you to think about today is I want you to think about your life and maybe your marriage. And I want you to think of Jesus 
and the cross and grace, like this big tent. And you've been at a, a wedding, maybe, where they've done this just big tent on the yard. And I want you to think about your marriage and your life as a Christian as always being conducted and lived under the shadow and the covering of that tent, that everything is done in the confines of grace and Jesus' love, and, and, and that Jesus is an integral part of all of this. And what is that like to submit to one another out of reverence for Christ? Well, maybe the best way I can describe it is to share maybe an example of a conversation. It's as if someone was having a conversation with God. And a conversation went like this, Lord, your love for me is, is just amazing. It astounds me. And the reason why it amazes me so much is because of who I am. I mean, on a daily or, or maybe weekly basis sometimes, I can be crabby and I can be unloving and unforgiving. And I would never tell my spouse this, but just between you and me, Lord, sometimes I don't know how she lives with me. I admit it to you. And my thoughts, I mean, if, if they knew my thoughts, I wouldn't be married. I wouldn't have any friends, really. And yet you still love me, Lord. That's what I'm talking about, your amazing grace. And, and in fact, you don't count that stuff against me. You don't hold it against me. You sent Jesus, and through his death, you give me what I don't deserve, like heaven and forgiveness. And you don't give me what I do deserve, which, frankly, Lord, is hell. Lord, what can I do to show you thanks? What can I do, Lord, to show you the appreciation that I have for totally changing my life and my eternity? And it's as if God answers that question this way. He says, here's what you can do. I want you, verse 21, I want you to take all that appreciation and awe and reverence for me, and I want you in an unconditional way to pour that down on your wife. I want you to take all that love and awe you have for me as Jesus, and I want you to pour that down unconditionally on your husband. And you might be like, but Lord, you know, this is kind of like between you and me here. I, you know, I, I want to do something for you, and, and God says, Verse 21, I know. Here's what I, this is what I want you to do for me. It's to pour all that awe and thankfulness down on your wife and on your husband. Really? Can't I just live 11%? Can't I just you know, teach Sunday school? Or, or, you know, I know some people I can invite to church. is what I want you to do. And husbands and wives, I, I read a pastor who, who put it this way. He said, do you know the person most in your life that you will ever be able to see with your eyes the grace of Christ, that unselfishness of Christ? The person who can most do that, most the only person that really can do that in your life is you for your spouse and your spouse for you. It's almost as if it's God's way of seeing Jesus as I serve my wife selflessly, as you serve your spouse selflessly, out of reverence for Christ. 
See how Jesus and the cross is just like this big tent? And maybe for some of us who are new to the faith or new to the Bible, maybe the first thing we need to do is to, first of all, begin to better understand Jesus' love for you. Because you can't have a tent if it's not up. You can't live under a tent if it's not up yet. Maybe that's where you need to start. But for those of us who do understand God's grace through Jesus, it encapsulates, it, it sets the tone for our entire lives and marriages. And then after this key verse, Paul gets specific. Wives, submit to your husbands as to the Lord. Now that wasn't so hard, was it? In fact, when you understand verse 21 is the tone with which both husband and wife should treat each other, God's asking you to do nothing more than what he already did ask in verse 21. He continues. For the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ is the head of the church, his body, of which he is the Savior. Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit to their husbands in everything. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up. Guys, this is a very humbling duty that the Lord has put on us. It's one in which we will never able, be able to do perfectly, as we will not be able to submit to each other perfectly either. I want you to understand what it doesn't mean. It doesn't mean, as the leader of the home, that you're the dictator, or that you are the, you know, the, the, the king of the kingdom, the lazy boy's your recliner, and the family's kind of like, you know, the peasants who sort of, you know, rule, you know, you kind of rule and tell them what to do, no. And the reason why that cannot be true is because verse 20, it would fly totally in the face of verse 21. It says, submit to one another, put the other person first. And so to best understand this in the light of verse 21 is to understand that more than anything, guys, it's a call for us to get our acts together if we need to. Because it is responsibility. It's responsibility that we, even more than our wives, should be the first and best example of what selfless love looks like. Yes, the wives, it's both ways, but we're the example in our homes and in our families. That's the responsibility that God has given to us. It's a responsibility that we continually keep the spiritual and physical welfare of our families as a high, high priority, and that we lead along with our lives, but that wives, but we lead in loving our wives and families as Christ loved the church. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her to make her holy, cleansing her by the washing with water through the word, which is all what Christ has done for his people, and to present the church, believers, to God as a radiant church, without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, but holy and blameless. In this same way, husbands ought to love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. Now, kind of as we draw to a close here, the unfortunate part about this section is so often, and one of the reasons why you might not initially have liked these words, because so often the times that they are used is when husband and wife are having discussions, okay? And what happens is, as one pastor put it, that 
Husbands and wives can use these verses, and he used this word. He, he said they use it like darts, like Bible darts. And what he meant was this. So, you, you know, as a husband or as a wife, um, you say, you know, you're supposed to love me as Christ loved the church, and you're not doing it. That's what he meant. Oh, to like hurt you, right? And then the husband comes back and says, well, that's nothing. You're supposed to submit. And, and it becomes this ammunition that is used to try to control our husbands and our wives. And I know sometimes I've heard these words said in a joking type of way. I guess those types of things said in a joking type of way. And my encouragement is I unleash them, even if it's joking. Because there's always a little bit of truth or at least a wondering if that's how he feels or if that's how she feels. But these words, guys, they were not given as ammunition. They were not given so you can control your wife. That's not submission, is it? They were given for encouragement for you of how you can love her, how you can love him. And you might be wondering to yourself, all right, I understand this whole hupatasso thing and what God is asking me to do in my marriage, but you don't understand my situation. Pastor world, and your life is a lot easier than mine, or something. I don't know. You don't understand my situation. What if my spouse doesn't love me in return like that? What if I put myself out there and he doesn't put me first, or she doesn't put me first? And the answer to that is this at a certain point, we should not concern ourselves with that. Because he's an adult. And at a certain point, that's between him and God. And that's between her and God. At a certain point, we need to understand that this is between me and God. And that I need to simply worry, not worry, but do what God is asking, not worry about what my spouse is doing so much. That I have had my debt Christ, my friends, is the motivation, he's the forgiveness, he's the example, he is the tenth. But, for just a moment, even though that's the motivation, for just a moment, I want you to think about something. I want you to think about, what would a marriage look like? If this, you first, no, you first, no, you, what, what would it look like if that was going both ways? For a moment, what would that look like? If, if even if your spouse is not doing that, what would it look like if you started there? You think it would be easier for him? You think it would be easier for her? What would it look like? I mean, would you want to be a part of a relationship like that? You think love would be there? You think you'd stay in love a little easier? So God has called us in response to Christ to follow his lead on a team where I am not the priority, but I selflessly and lovingly in my actions and words say, you first, no, no, you first, no, you first, my friends, 
Heavenly Father, you put a, a lot in my heart and mind today. Whether I'm married or not, uh, there are relationships in my life that uh, I'm thinking about right now, or past relationships. And Lord, first of all, forgive me, uh, as we all have not done this perfectly. But Lord, let's not just stay in our sinfulness or, or in, our, um, in that sinfulness, but through repentance and, and also forgiveness, we have been given a new day, <coughs> another opportunity to serve you, out of awe for you, you love and put my spouse in front of me. To that end, Lord, ask for your blessing.